Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Hebrews, the ninth chapter, where my Bible is open, and I will encourage you to be opening up a Bible to Hebrews chapter 9 as well. This part of our worship is all about the Word of God, and so let's get those Bibles cranking to Hebrews chapter 9 so that we can devote our full attention to what God has to say in His Word. It is an absolutely beautiful first day of the week, and I am so happy to be here, and I'm thankful that you're here as well, whether you are a member here at Lakeside or whether you're visiting here from someplace else. I know we've got some first-time guests with us. We appreciate it so very much that you've come to be with us today. You're an encouragement to the rest of us, your presence and your participation as we worship God together in spirit and in truth. As many of you that are members here know, I like to plan my preaching several weeks or even maybe a few months in advance. I try to get sermons or at least sermon ideas uh, slotted in on the calendar. That way I've got tangible goals to be working towards specific goals. However, that schedule is not fixed. It is not set in stone. I always try to allow some, some wiggle room for current events that may arise or other pressing needs that need to be talked about immediately to strike while the iron is hot. And such is the case this morning. Because several times and in several ways this past week, I have been reminded of our mortality. And I must tell you, I could not stop thinking about our mortality and about that subject. And so it was around Thursday, I decided to ditch everything else that I had been working on up to that point, table that for another time, so that I could direct our attention this morning to Hebrews the ninth chapter in verse 27. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Hebrew writer says there, that just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes the judgment. That verse seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? That it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. That doesn't seem all that complicated, does it? But I must tell you, lots of people read that verse just a little bit differently. Let me tell you how young people read Hebrews 9.27. One of these days I may die, but that's a long ways off. And after that comes the judgment. Actually, let me not pick on the young people this morning because it's not just young people who read that verse in that way. Many people, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, they read Hebrews 9.27 to say, you know what, a lot of other people are going to die, but not me. No, I'm healthy. I eat right. I take my vitamins. I'm the spitting image of health. Everything is fine with me, so I'm not going to think about death until I'm old. And after that comes the judgment. Our culture does not like death. Our culture does not want to talk about death. They're not interested in death. And despite what Hebrews 9.27 says so clearly and so plainly, what we would like for it to say is we'd like for it to say, just as it is appointed for, well, it's appointed for all of you all to die, but not me. And then after that comes the judgment. People have fought for so long and for so hard to deny or maybe to just outright ignore what Hebrews 9.27 says. And as a result, I'm afraid that the force and the power of God's Word, it doesn't even register to them. And maybe that's the reason why we have so many people in the world who they don't want to become Christians. They're not interested in Christianity. Maybe that's the reason why we have others who give up on the Lord. 
They forsake Jesus. They go back into the world. Maybe the reason that they do that is because they have hardened themselves. They have numbed themselves to the reality of what this verse is saying. Let me say it one more time. Hebrews 9.27 says, You are destined to die. Destined, one translation says. Appointed. Absolutely certain. If the Lord tarries long enough, you will die. Paul refers to death as the last enemy. And you and I need to quit fooling ourselves about that. We need to quit fooling ourselves about how that verse in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, how that applies to, well, it applies to everybody else. It applies to old people. That verse, yeah, maybe it sort of, kind of, maybe applies to me, but not till, you know, the way off distant future. No. We are all terminal cases. None of us is getting out of here alive. You are in Hebrews 9.27. I am in Hebrews 9.27. Which means I want to know some things this morning about death. I want to know some things about this enemy. Why is death referred to as the enemy? How should I feel about that? About death and dying? What should my attitude be? How should I feel about that? And is there anything that could be done? Not to avoid death. That ain't happening. But is there anything that could be done to be victorious somehow over this last enemy? Well, find in your Bibles Hebrews the second chapter. In Hebrews chapter 2, because I want to submit to you this morning that we can beat death. There is a sense in which we can overcome death. And the Hebrew writer helps us to see how that is possible. In Hebrews chapter 2, I'm reading here beginning in verse 14. There the writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation For the sins of the people. Right here, the Hebrew writer gives us three giant truths about death. These truths have the power to build within us conviction. Deep conviction that while death is certain, we can overcome. And we can gain the victory, yes, even over death. Let's break those three truths out right now. And that needs to begin in verse number 15. Because in verse number 15, do you see there that the Bible says very candidly that there is a fear of death. Look at it again. He comes to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The beginning of everything for us this morning is to just frankly admit that generally speaking, we are afraid to die. You know, why is terrorism... Such a big concern. Well, it's because terrorists kill people. If some lunatic barges in the front door and he's wielding a gun and he's going to start shooting people, nobody's going to jump up and say, oh, hey, shoot me first. No, why? 
Because we don't want to die. In the movies, what's the greatest peril in the movies? The greatest peril in the movies, when some villain or some monster in the movies, the the concern is they're going to kill people. They're going to kill the hero. They're going to kill the good guys. Nobody goes to the movies and they're watching this big villain and they're watching this big monster and they're afraid that the villain is going to torture the good guy by making him mow the lawn. That's not what we get concerned about at the movies. I would be terrified by that. But we don't go to the movies and get concerned about that. We get concerned they're going to hurt the good guy. They're going to kill the good guy. Death terrifies us. And verse 15 says that we can just be candid about that. We can be honest about that. Young, old, middle-aged, everybody across the spectrum, verse 15 fits all people. In fact, did you notice that the Hebrew writer even goes on to say that some, for some, this fear, it can be a life Time dread. That some are subject to lifelong slavery. Think about that. Who wants to be a, who wants to be a slave? Who wants to be enslaved to fear? You know, that suggests to me that this fear of death, it can cripple a person. It can haunt you. It can paralyze you. It can overtake you. And as a result, it affects how you live your everyday life. You just think about it. Why do we caution our teenagers about texting and driving? It's because we're afraid they're going to wreck and they're going to die. Why are we concerned about drunk drivers and other motorists on the road? It's because we're afraid they're going to crash into us and we're going to die. Why do we shed tears whenever we learn that a loved one has contracted a terminal disease like cancer? It's because we're afraid they're going to get sick and they're going to die. Remember just a couple of weeks ago, many of you know, I flew on an airplane for the very first time. And lots of people were asking me, oh, Josh, are you afraid of flying? No, I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid that the plane is going to stop flying and we're going to crash and I'm going to die. It all comes right back to a fear of death. And that fear... That fear of death, it can enslave a person and it can keep a person from really living. In fact, that's what's, that's what's happened to the world. You understand that? The world is enslaved to this fear. They won't necessarily say it with their mouths. They may not utter those words. But they're enslaved to the fear of death. How do I know that? I know that because the world's answer to the fear of death is distraction. I'll just be distracted, be diverted from ever thinking about dying. We'll just distract ourselves with more fun, more thrills, more stuff, more pleasure, maybe more work, more selfies, do more, see more, have more, get more. Why we just, if we, as long as we just stay busy all the time, as long as we just stay consumed with all kinds of great fun all of the time, well, Well, then who's got the time to think sobering thoughts about dying? You're not going to think about Hebrews 9.27 when you're having a great time. And so our society's answer to death is to just stay distracted. Divert my attention away from those hard thoughts of Scripture. And you know what? Distraction, Distraction works for a little while. Eventually the fun... Eventually the roller coaster, eventually it has to come to a stop, doesn't it? And it is then, in those moments, in the stillness and in the quiet of the night, 
When we are left alone to our thoughts, it is then that we have those long, sobering thoughts about our mortality. That's why Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he warns us about the folly of distraction. Would you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, here's a guy who started contemplating the end. He started to think about his end. And it kind of freaked him out a little bit. And look at what he tried to do about that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look in verse 1. In Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1, I then said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You keep reading in chapter 2, and what chapter 2 recounts are all of the different things that this wealthy king tried to distract himself with. Verse 4, I had great works. I had houses. I had vineyards. Verse 5, I had gardens. I had parks. Verse 6, I had pools. Verse 7, I had lots of herds, lots of flocks. Verse 8, I had silver. I had gold, treasures, provinces, singers, concubines, and so much more. And what does Solomon say about all of those distractions? Verse 16, he says, For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, the wise dies just like the fool. Can you hear the fear of death in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 16? This guy says, I tried everything. I literally could do anything I wanted. And all it did was provide a temporary distraction. The reality of death still remains. In fact, Solomon finally just comes to the realization that I just need to stop distracting myself. That's just not helping at all. And so he says in chapter 7, he says just very plainly in chapter 7, look in verse 2, he comes to the realization that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house to feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Solomon says, quit trying to pretend that you're not going to die. Solomon says, the reason that it is good for you to go to the house of mourning, to go to the funeral home, is because it puts a stop to the fun. Think about it. Nobody has fun at a funeral. I've never seen people, I'm going to go down to the funeral, we have just a big old time today. No, at a funeral, it is somber, it is serious, it is sobering. We are forced to think those long thoughts about death. Nobody goes to a funeral and lies to themselves and says, well, you know what, I'm never going to die. No, we know better. We go to the house of mourning and many times we are awakened to the reality of death and that fear of death, it overwhelms us. Well, not all of us. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer goes on there to tell us that there is an antidote. There is a solution, an answer to this fear of death. In Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14 again. In verse 14, he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is 
the devil. You want to beat death? Then that's your verse. Hebrews 2.14 is your verse because that verse says that in Christ Jesus, death is powerless. That's what that word destroy means in verse 14. It means to render powerless. In fact, did you notice that Jesus, He's done more than just destroy death. Verse 14 says that Jesus has actually destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it? Because Hebrews chapter 2, in concert with all of the rest of Scripture, it is telling us that death is merely a symptom of a much greater problem. Death is a symptom of sin. And unfortunately, we don't always think about death in those terms. We don't often think about the fact that the reason we have this problem known as death is because of the devil. Satan. That's where all of this started. And I think that's why Satan enjoys distracting us with all those pleasures and fun and all that other stuff so that we don't think long thoughts about death. We're so afraid of death that we don't ever stop and think about where death came from. Why is it that people die? Actually, why do people die? Somebody maybe would say, well, I think people die because, well, because the doctor hasn't been able to figure out the right treatments or the right medicine to get them better. Or people die because they get old and their body breaks down and then they just, you know, they die. Or sometimes people say, well, people just die because, well, because that's, that, that's just nature. It's just natural for people to die. Have you ever considered the fact that in reality, there's nothing natural about death? That that's not the way that it was supposed to be. Can I show you that? Look in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, remember that in the very beginning, everything that God made was good. It was very good. God was walking and talking with Adam and Eve. They were in perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. Everything was good. And yet in Genesis 2 and in verse 15, we're told that the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, here it is, you shall surely die. Everything in the garden was good. But there was the potential for one bad thing. And what happens next? You know the story. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they violate God's law. They ate of the fruit of that tree. They sinned. And what was the result? The result was exactly what God said that it would be. Death. Spiritual death. But also physical death. Because at the end of chapter 3 and verse 24, we are told that they are expelled from the garden of paradise. They are evicted from having access to life. The tree of life. Do you see here that death is connected to sin? The day you eat of it, the day that you sin, you shall surely die, God said. Death entered the world through sin. Sin causes death. Sin separates us from the very source of life, God Himself. That is why we die. People ask, well, why do we die? We die because we are separated from the source of life. We die because we live in a sinful and fallen and broken world. And we ourselves, we commit sin. And when we do that, 
What's Romans 6.23 says? The wages of those sins, it is death. And just as sin was introduced in Genesis chapter 3 by the temptations of that evil one, the devil, even today that continues to be the case. As sin and death permeate our world because of the activity of the devil. And that is why the Hebrew writer comes along in chapter 2. And he says that what Jesus has destroyed is He has destroyed the power of death. He has destroyed the devil. And let's just get it straight. When we talk about the fear of death, this is what we're talking about. Somebody would maybe say, well, Josh, I tell you, the reason I'm afraid to die is because I have small children. And I, I guess I understand about that being a parent of a small child myself, I've entertained the thought of, it'd be horrible if something happened to me or happened to Tiffany, the thought of leaving our child fatherless or motherless and and trying to grow up without a mother. Man, that's just just so difficult. So there is some fear there, and I, I guess I get that. But mostly, what are we afraid of? We are afraid to die because we are afraid of what the devil might do and what the devil might say. We are afraid of that unknown when we die. We don't know what it feels like to die. We don't know exactly what happens when we die, what that looks like, where we're going to be, how it all works. And especially the last part of Hebrews 9.27, it's pointed on a man who wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. And when you've been a sinner, when you have been separated from God, when you have willfully rebelled against Him and His law, and you die, and you then stand before the Lord in that day of judgment, what's the devil going to do? The devil's going to stand up and he's going to say, I accuse that one. Him right there. I accuse him, Lord. He's a sinner. He was rebellious to you. He violated your law. He doesn't love you. He didn't serve you throughout his life. He died spiritually. What happened to his physical body was really just emblematic of what happened to him spiritually. That one right there, he is mine. It is that thought. That is what is so terrifying. What we are afraid of is that we will die and that we will be lost. In fact, can I just say it? What we are afraid of is that we will die and go to hell. That. That is the fear of death. Would you look again at Hebrews 2? Look at verse 14 again. Jesus, He partook of flesh and blood. In other words, the Son of God, He put on a physical body so that through death, He might destroy the one who has that power, the power of death, the devil. Do you know what that means? That means, practically speaking, that Jesus came here And He did what you and I could not do. By His death, by His burial, by His resurrection from the dead, He rendered death powerless and He won the victory once and for all. He did what we were not able to do. You just think about it. What can you do about death? People try to do all kinds of things about death. What can you actually do about death? Buckle up. Put on your sunscreen. Take your vitamins. Listen, I know folks who get up every single day of the week and they eat their Flintstones chewables, but at the end of the day, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. They're going to die just like everybody else dies. 
Somebody says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll eat my vegetables. Yuck, I'd rather die. We have all kinds of things that we attempt to do, that we try to do, to stave off death, to put it off just a little while longer. But in the end, we are going to die. Which means we are utterly and completely and totally dependent upon Jesus to do exactly what Hebrews 2 verse 14 says. We need Him. And by the way, that is the very reason that we serve Jesus, that we obey Jesus, that we worship Jesus. Because He's the one who broke the devil's grip in our lives. He gave Himself as a sacrificial offering for our sins. In fact, look at verse 17 again. Verse 17, Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation. Atonement. To make reconciliation for. One writer said, and I love this, Jesus is the death of death. Sit on that for a second. Jesus is the death of death. Amen. He is the death of death. He is the end of death. He has triumphed over death. He is victorious in a battle that we could never ever win on our own. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how Jesus introduced Himself in the book of Revelation? In Revelation 1 and verse 18, Jesus said, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is in control. Jesus shatters, destroys the fear of death because He has provided the way for us to be reconciled to our God. Which means, thirdly, that means now we can really live. Now we can really live. What could you do if you were not enslaved by fear? And I read about a fellow one time who, he did an experiment where he got this, he got this really long two by four, I don't know exactly how long it was, and he, he laid it down on the ground, and at the end of that two by four, he put a thousand dollars. And he challenged his test subjects. He said, if you can walk across that two by four all the way to the end, I'm going to give you that thousand dollars. Do you think you could do it? Well, of course, all of the test subjects said, well, yeah, we can do that. We can do that no problem at all. Walk right across that and get my thousand dollars. But then he said, okay, well, we're going to take this two by four and we're going to lay it over from one end to the next. We're going to lay it over a big gorge, over a big canyon where there's like 100 foot drop, hundreds of feet drop right below us. Do you think you can do it now? You want to walk across that for the $1,000? Of course, nobody would. Well, why not? It's the same board. It's the same distance. It's the same reward. But do you see what happens? Do you see what happens whenever we are afraid? When it was laying there on the floor, well, we weren't fearful at all. But as soon as you put it over this big gorge, oh, now everything changes. Now I'm afraid. Now I'm enslaved by that fear. Now I can't do anything. Can you see how fear changes us? It changes how we live. It changes our very outlook. It hinders us. It holds us back. Look at verse 18 now. In verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 18, Jesus is going to help us to truly live because it says, for because He Himself has suffered when tempted... Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted. Think about where we were. We were in verse 15. 
We were subject to lifelong slavery, the fear of death. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 18, we have help. We have help to move forward. We have help to overcome the one who was enslaving us in bondage. Can I just make that very, very practical? What if we weren't afraid to die? What if we had no fear whatsoever about death? What if we were not afraid to die because we had the absolute confidence that when we die and we stand before the Lord in that day of judgment and the devil begins to open up his mouth and he's going to start saying all his accusatory things about he's mine and he did this and he did that. What if Jesus then arises and he speaks on our behalf and he says, I won't hear it. I'm not listening to you, devil. I know him. He's mine. He is my child. I know the past sins that He's committed, but they've been remitted. They have been forgiven. They've been washed away, Acts 22.16. That one, that one is my child. You, devil, you are an accuser. I am not listening to you. Think about how that would embolden us, wouldn't it? Think about how that would give us confidence. And when we have that kind of confidence, that Jesus is acting on our behalf, then now... Now I can really start living. Because all that fretting that I was doing, maybe I've lived for years and years and years, fretting and worrying and uncertain and all kinds of fear about dying, oh, that's now gone. Because I now have the blessed assurance that comes from being in a right relationship with God. Now I can truly be alive. I'll give you an illustration of that. Would you look in Philippians 1? In Philippians chapter 1, here is a guy who is alive. Now you may not think it just by looking at his outward circumstances, but this guy is alive. In Philippians chapter 1, this is Paul. And I want you to notice that even though he is writing this letter from a Roman prison cell, he's not trying to distract himself from his miserable circumstances. He's not trying to distract himself from the death that is staring him in the face that he's probably going to have to endure at the hand of a Roman executioner, no. Instead, Paul is really living. And so he says in Philippians 1 and verse 20, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then that just means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Look at Paul. His life is so consumed with Christ. He is so alive. He is so confident of where he stands spiritually that he can't even choose between heaven and earth in this moment. It's a toss-up for him. Because Paul knows where he stands with his God. Paul knows that Jesus has already secured that victory for him over the devil. And Paul knows that physical death, it's nothing more but a door. It is a door from this realm into the eternal realm. And so consequently, Paul recognizes that he is able to live without fear. Brothers in Christ, 
sisters in Christ? Is that where you are? Have you made it here to truth number three? Are you living in that? You need to be. You should be. You ought to be. Christians, listen to me, Christians don't fear death. We get up every morning and we face the reality, this is it. This could be the day. This could be the day that I die and step into eternity. This could be the day. But you know what? Whether I die or whether I don't die, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ today. And why? Because I am not afraid to die. In June of 1832, a massive cholera epidemic hit the shores of the United States, having been transported here from Europe. A terrible outbreak had happened in Europe shortly before that, and it made its way here stateside. It's estimated that between June the 1st of 1832 and November the 1st of that same year, more than 3,000 people died from that terrible disease. And one of the hardest hit cities at that time was our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Nearing the end of his first term in office, President Andrew Jackson, who was already in poor health at the age of 65, he was urged by his family, especially by his daughter-in-law, to please return home to Tennessee. That way he could ride out the epidemic and then he could return back to Washington. Jackson agreed to return to Tennessee, but prior to his departure, he sat down and wrote a letter to his beloved daughter-in-law, Sarah. And he wrote that letter to try and calm her fears about his health and all the concerns that go along with that. In his letter, he said the following. He said, My dear Sarah, knowing that we have to die, and that's a guy who obviously believed Hebrews 9.27, knowing that we have to die, we ought to live to be prepared to die well. And then... Let death come when it may. We will meet it without alarm and we will be ready to say, the Lord's will be done. And I don't know everything about Andrew Jackson, about what he believed, but he's exactly right. That we ought to live, to be prepared, to die well. When we do that, there is no fear in death. In Christ Jesus, we know that death is rendered powerless. And we can then live for Him each day with a confidence and a zeal and a readiness that says, let death come when it may. That, that is the victory over death that Jesus has secured for His people. The question now is, do you have that victory? Are you in Christ? If you are not a Christian this morning, and you came into this building fearing death, and maybe as I've talked about it this morning, you just fear death even more, good. You ought to be afraid. I am afraid for you if you are not faithfully serving Jesus the Christ. Because if you die outside of Christ, then what happens next? What happens next is Revelation 21 verse 8, a thing called the second Death, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's the bad news. The good news is that by God's grace and His mercy and His long-suffering, you have been afforded this opportunity right now to respond to the call of the gospel. 
the opportunity right now to render and submit your life in obedience to Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. If you do that, all of your sins will be washed away. You'll be forgiven. And then, then you can start living to be prepared to die well. Brother or sister, if you're not living right as a child of God, then you should know that the Lord is calling you as well. He is calling you to repentance and to seek His face in forgiveness once more so that you can truly live without fear. Monday afternoon, sat in a hospital room with our brother Don Ayers. And I got to have one last, long, uh, uninterrupted conversation with Don before he died. And I can tell you on that day, Don knew that Hebrews 9.27 was knocking at his door. Do you know what? He was not afraid. He did not fear. He had lived his life for Jesus Christ and he knew that death was about to be swallowed up in victory. What about you? Can you have that same kind of confidence in death? If there is something that we can do for you this morning to help you to be delivered from the fear of death, to know the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, why don't you come forward right now, make those wishes known. Do that while we stand, while we sing.